shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord, wherefore, Comfort one another with these words. And we know that the Lord always blesses the public reading of the scriptures to us. Uh, I'm not sure whether it's been said before on the introduction, but the Lord's coming is clearly the subject matter of the passage. And the Lord's coming is, is a subject that is dealt with at length in the epistle. And in every chapter of the first epistle, and certainly in the first two chapters of the second epistle, references made to the matter of the Lord's coming. Uh, chapter one, uh, it's about the saints who've turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. I, I would talk about their commitment in, in that sort of section uh, as they wait for his son from heaven. Chapter two, it's, uh, it, it's about confidence, perhaps, rather than commitment. What is our hope or our joy or our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? So the confidence of Paul that the Thessalonian saints will be there when he's there. Uh, chapter 3, I think, it's perhaps, I've called it about compassion. It's may the Lord make peace and abound in love toward one another. Um, at the comes, so that you may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 4 is clearly a comfort another with these words. Uh, chapter 5, it's really about sanctification. You'll allow me to call it consecration just to keep the C's in place. Uh, but, but it's about the, their sanctification in chapter 5. That the God of peace sanctify you wholly, spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the subject of the Lord's coming is big in the epistle. And I just wanted to say something in general sense about the Lord's coming. I, I, I grew up, I suppose, to believe that there were two future comings of the Lord Jesus. So there was a coming that would rapture the saints, and the brethren used to talk about the rapture. Not a word that's found in scripture, of course, but, but they used to talk about the rapture. And, and that was the first of the second comings of Christ, to take his saints home to glory. Uh, I, I then understood 
that there was another coming, and that was when the Lord Jesus came in glory uh, to reign on the earth, and he was going to be manifested at that time. So I grew up to believe that there were two comings, not one coming, there were two comings. And, and, and I also grew up to understand that the word that is used, uh, generally speaking in the New Testament, about the Lord's coming, is the writers speak about his parousia. And it's a word that is in two parts, para and ousia. Not that I know much about Greek, but I read about it. Uh, and it's about with and being of the two words. And so this is about him being with. But I grew up to understand that this parousia was nothing to do with the rapture. It was all about the appearing in glory of the Lord Jesus and coming to reign. That was his manifestation. So I had to begin to unlearn some of that and to try to understand from my own mind what was involved in the coming of the Lord Jesus. Uh, I've mentioned the word already, but generally speaking, and certainly here in Thessalonians and, and in other parts of the New Testament, in Matthew and in 1 Corinthians and so on, the word that is used to describe the Lord's coming, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the word that is used to describe that is the word parousia. And it means, in Greek, with and being. Uh, so it's not as I understood it in my early days, a manifestation, although that may be involved in the process, but it is about the Lord Jesus Christ being once again with his people and being in a much more tangible way than he is today, being involved in the affairs of his people and in the affairs of the world in which they currently exist. And, and the word, and, and we would need to understand and learn from the context of the passages where it is uh, quoted, we would understand from the context of the passage what bit or what event or what part of the coming of Christ is being mentioned. And that word parousia can mean somebody arriving and it's about that initial arrival of that individual. And that would be the case when we turn to passages like 1 Corinthians 15. It's about the initial arrival and verse 23 in particular of 1 Corinthians 15. But it also can mean not simply that initial arrival, but it can mean the process of that coming. Now, I'm not trying to be too complex or, or technical here, but I feel it's important for us to grasp what this word means and what's involved. And so it's about, it can mean the process of his arrival. So about a series of events that are going to take place, and you would get that in, for example, places like Matthew 24 and 37. The Lord speaks about, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. So it can refer to not only the initial arrival of the person who's 
being with, but it can refer to the process of that being with. But of course, it also can uh, refer to the conclusion of that process. And that would be the case in, in Matthew 24 again, and, and verse number 27 speaks about, you know, the days when the carcasses are there and what's going to happen around that particular uh, event and area. And so the coming of Christ, as we understand the second coming of Christ, involves a whole range of issues and events. So it certainly involves what we've come to call the rapture of the church. So when the Lord Jesus comes to the air to receive his people to himself. And John 14 is the promise of that. That if I go, I will come and receive you unto myself. And we're going to come to that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 as well. But that process of his being with his people also involves not simply their taking home to glory, but it involves, for example, the judgment seat of Christ. So that he's going to be with his people, but he's going to be with his people in glory. And they will face, and we all will stand, before the judgment seat of Christ. It also involves the process of his coming, also involves the tribulation for Israel. And, and, and we could spend a long time thinking about that, but we're in Matthew 24 again, about the day of Jacob's trouble. And, and, and if you're on the housetop, didn't go downstairs and pick your stuff up, just run. Such will be the difficulty and the time of tribulation for the nation of Israel. And that is all involved in the Lord being with, again, his parousia. It, it involves, when we come to Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7, it involves the marriage supper of the Lamb. So with his bride, we're going to be with him in the glory, and we're going to enjoy the marriage of the Lamb. Hmm? And, and that's referred to in passages like Ephesians chapter 5 as well, you know. He will present us blameless to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And then it also involves, of course, the, the final judgment. And we come to Revelation chapter 19. And we discover that uh, on a white horse he's going to ride. And he's going to put all his enemies down before him. And, and the final judgment will take place. And then, of course, lastly, and there may be some other bits in there that you will tell me about later and you have in your mind. But lastly for me, it's about that, what I understood to be the parousia, but it is his coming with his saints in glory to establish his kingdom here on the earth. And you're going to passages like Revelation 24, Revelation verse 4, and Matthew 25 and verse 31. So the, the coming of Christ, what we know as the second coming of Christ, involves a whole range of activities and involves a whole range of his presentation to ourselves, and to the men and women of the world. And when the scripture talks about the coming of the Lord, it uses that word parousia, and it uses it in these various contexts, as we come to read about it and understand. It is certainly true, of course, that the two comings that I knew about in my young days, 
was the first of them when he came to take his saints home to glory. And we are raptured into his presence. And we're going to find that in 1 Thessalonians 4. But the last of them, of course, is when he comes not for his saints, but when he comes with his saints to set up his kingdom and to establish himself as the one who will reign from sea to sea and from shore to shore and from the great river to the ends of the earth. And we'll also come to that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So both of these are appearing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So what is referred to then when the expressions Paul uses in 1 Thessalonians is about the coming of the Lord. So in chapter 1, I think he is referring to the day of the rapture. Here are men and women who have put their faith and trust in Christ, and they're waiting for his son from heaven. So they're just waiting for him to come back to them. And, and, and he's speaking about the day when he will come to the air and he will take his people home to be with himself. So I believe in chapter 1, the reference to the coming of the Lord is about the rapture. When we come to chapter 2, of course, I think it's more to do with somewhere in the ongoing presence of his coming. And, and it's about the saints that are going to be before his presence in chapter number 2. For what is our hope, our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye before the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at this coming? So there's something in there for me about the ongoing process of that coming. And it's about his people being before him. And I take it it's about his people being before him in the glory. When we come to chapter 3, I think it is again more about the rapture and events that may be immediately following the rapture. The Lord make you to increase and abound in love toward one another to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God and our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's the condition of God's people when he comes and where he takes them before God and into his very presence. When we come to chapter 4, there's two things in there and we'll come to that in a moment or two. But when we come to chapter 5, I take it the, 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 the rapture again is in view in chapter 5. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming. And, and for me it's there the words of 1 John chapter 2, that we might not be ashamed before him at his coming. And so when he comes the, the intention during our lifetime is that we might be preserved and that we might be sanctified and that when he comes, we might be in the right condition when he arrives. And so I take it in chapter 5, we're back very much to thinking about the rapture. So let's come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and the latter part of the chapter in particular. I, I, I just... I feel as though I've not excited you enough about the Lord's coming, the way we've been talking, you know, because it's an incredible subject that the Lord is coming. And, and when he comes, he's going to be here for a, he's going to be with us for a long time. Hmm? 
In fact, he's going to be with us for eternity. And, and we're going to be involved in a whole range of things that he is coming to attend to when he comes to take us out of this world. And before he touches anything else, <laughs> before he touches anything else, he's going to take you and me and he's going to take us home to glory. Isn't that wonderful? We should shake our heads and say amen to that, although I'm not a great amen sayer either, but there you go. So let's come to chapter 4, verses 13 down to verse 18. What were the issues, do you think, for the saints at Thessalonica? Why does Paul come to this subject matter? What was it was in their minds that made him write about this particular subject in this, but I would not have you to be ignorant. So I guess he was thinking maybe they weren't as wise as they should have been. You know, maybe they didn't quite understand. And so he writes to them to try to explain issues that are in their hearts and in their minds. Now, we need to understand, of course, that these dear saints in Thessalonica didn't have the advantages that we have today. They didn't have, for example, 1 Corinthians, and they certainly didn't have chapter 15, and, and they didn't have uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, absent from the body, present with the Lord. They didn't have that because these were all written after 1 Thessalonians. And so they had things that were in their mind that they didn't know. And Paul is writing to try and bring them up to speed and to make sure that they were not ignorant of some of these issues. And, and in particular, it seems that they were concerned about the saints who had already died. Now, these were first century Christians, don't forget. The Lord Jesus had not all that long ago gone to heaven. And, and, and they, were, they were dealing with men who had actually seen the Lord risen. Paul had seen the Lord risen in glory. So it's a very short space of time. And here they are, and, and Paul will have been telling them and talking to them about, but, but he's gone, but he's coming back. You know, said that to his disciples in John 14. He's, he's gone for a while, but he's coming back. And, and these people were expecting him to return. Chapter 1 is clear about that. To wait for his son. And so they were concerned about what's going to happen to the saints that have already died? Where are they? And, and, and what is their prospect? What is their future? And what Paul begins to teach them in these verses is that those that have already died, you need to understand they will not miss out on Christ's coming in glory. And so in verse 14, he says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which have fallen asleep in Jesus, will God bring with him. So to the saints in Thessalonica, don't you worry about the saints that have died and that you've buried because they will not miss out when it comes to Christ coming to reign and to rule and to be seen in his glory because they will be brought with him. 
The second thing he teaches them in these verses is that those that have died will not miss out when it comes to the rapture. So these two bookends of the coming of Christ, if you like, these, old, these saints that have already passed away and died, they will not miss out on the coming in glory because God will bring them with Christ. And they will not miss out on the rapture because, Paul says, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so he's teaching the saints at Thessalonica how to understand this matter of some saints have died and the Lord's not yet come. So what's going to happen to them? And he says, in no way are they going to miss out. In fact, what we understand now from what we read and understand in Scripture is that they're far better off than we are. Because they're in the glory with Christ. So, so they've died and their bodies have been buried. But says the apostle, they will in no way miss out when it comes to the saints coming with Christ in glory. And they will no way miss out when it comes to the Lord Jesus taking his people up to be with himself. And so he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. Understand these particular issues. Now, I don't want to go into the, the, the section in too much detail, but there were just, and we've dealt with this subject before, I think, here, so you might have notes in your Bible, or you might have pages way back in your memory, I don't know, but, but I, I thought it would be just worth thinking about some of the words that are used, because some of the words just tell us a wonderful story about what Paul is trying to teach the saints at Thessalonica. And, and the first word that I, that I want to pick out is the word sleep. Paul says to them, Even so them also, which have fallen asleep in Jesus, will God bring with him. And those of us that are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, we shall not prevent them which are asleep. So, so the death of the saint is described as a sleep. So, I'm not trying to upset Val here and George, but, but we laid to rest our sister Norma on Thursday. And, and, but she's asleep. She's asleep. And so, the death of the saint is about a rest. It's about a rest. Blessed, says uh, Revelation 14, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, for they enter into their rest. So the death of the saint is about a sleep. Now that conjures up all sorts of things in our mind, of course, doesn't it? And, and there are bits of scripture that, that maybe are coming to your mind as well. You know, it, it's, about, it's about rest and renewal. I know there are some nights we go to bed and we get up in the morning and we don't really feel rested. We feel as tired as we were the day before when we went to bed. I know that. But, but in broad terms, when somebody gets a sleep, they get a rest. So it's about a rest and a renewal. It's a revival in the morning. It's a, it's a refreshment in the morning. 
And so when the saint dies, they, they go into a rest, waiting for the revival and, and the renewal in the morning. John 11, you remember what uh, they said about Lazarus. They said, his disciples, because the Lord said, Lazarus is not dead, he sleepeth. And he was just saying the same as when he said, here, he sleeps. And, and they said, well, if he sleeps, he does well. Oh, well he said, Lazarus is dead in human terms and understanding. So it's about rest. And, and Revelation 22, his servant shall serve him. I remember thinking that about my father when he died. He died when I was far too young for him to die. But, but I remember thinking that his, grave, his gravestone says, saved to serve. That's what he wanted on, on his grave, saved to serve. But, but I remember thinking, well, he's serving today and he's not getting tired in his service. And he's got all the energy he ever needs today that he didn't have when he was here, when he was serving. And so it's about rest and renewal. It's, it is about an evening and a morning. So the saint is sleeping. And it's about going to bed in the evening. And it's about waking in the morning. And, and I think about John 21, for example. And the Lord Jesus stood on the shore. They had been toiling all night. And in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. And, and, and so it's about an evening, going to bed and going to rest. And it's about a morning, you know, in the daylight. It wasn't very daylight this morning, but in the daylight and the sunshine. And so it's about an evening and a morning. And, and in that John 21, the Lord Jesus uh, provides power in their service while they're here. And do you remember he said, cast the net on the right side of the ship? And they cast and they found. And, and it's about provision for the journey in John 21, isn't it? Uh, come and dine. Yeah. Breakfast is ready. And so it's about an evening and a morning. It's, it's about a night and a day. And so the saint of God is asleep. And, and, and those that have gone are waiting to see the morning star appearing in glory bright, as we are, those of us that are alive. But for those that are asleep, they're waiting for the morning star. And the Lord Jesus says in Revelation 22, I am the bright and morning star. I am the bright and morning star. And it's about a departure. And all of these sort of symbols, it's about a departure and an arrival, isn't it? Paul speaks about that in 2, Thessalo in 2 Timothy 4. Time of my departure is at hand. And, and, and I'm going to the other side. I've, I've done one or two cruises in my time, and, and, and it's wonderful. Leaving the harbor is an amazing experience, really, you know? Leaving the harbor and going out into the ocean. And if you've had a rough night on the ocean, coming into the harbor in the morning is a wonderful experience. And so it's all about the sleep of the saint, Paul speaks about here. And, and he's trying to reassure these saints in Thessalonica that those that have died, they're only just sleeping. And there'll come a day when they'll awaken in his presence. The other word that I was looking at is the word uh, prevent. We shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend, and so on, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So 
We're not going to prevent. We're not going to precede. We're not going to go before them. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And, and their place in the kingdom, and we've referred to this already, but their place in the kingdom is secure. Verse 14, we've already quoted. Those that are asleep in Jesus will God bring with him. And so their place in the kingdom is secure. That's what we're waiting for. And, and, and we heard about that last night at uh, Riverside. There was a boy there, I don't know, I shouldn't call him a boy maybe, but uh, Charlie Banks gave the ministry last night on Ephesians 1. It's amazing to see these young men who've grown in experience and depth of understanding of the scriptures. And he spoke about what was planned for in God's will for the Lord Jesus, that, that he will bring all things together in him. You know, wonderful just to sit and listen to that. Uh, so it's about their place in the kingdom is secure. We've already said that their place in the rapture is secure because the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together. But the other thing I think that Paul is referring to here and is trying to get the message across to these saints is that these saints will not lose out in terms of a change of body. Now what, he's, what, what we learn from 1 Corinthians 15, of course, and so on, is, is that, you know, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll all be changed. Eh? These bodies that are wasting away, the sciatica in the back, and problems with the ticker, the sight that's waning, all of that will change when he comes. And he will provide us with a glorified body, like unto his own. And he'll change these bodies of our humiliation. Philippians chapter 3, he will change these bodies of our humiliation and, and we will have a new body. A body of strength. A body fitted for eternity. A body that will last forever. A glorified body like unto his own body of glory. But says the apostle, the dead in Christ shall rise first. I, I don't know. Maybe these believers in Thessalonica thought, you know what? Now that we've got a grip of the fact that they're in the glory of heaven and, and, and their spirits have gone to be with Christ, is that how they're going to remain for the rest of eternity? No, no, says Paul. Their bodies will rise. And they will be raised as glorious bodies, like unto his body of glory. And they will be raised in perfection. Even though, and, and, and we say it so often at the graveside, you know, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. But the dead in Christ shall rise first. And they will have glorified bodies and they will not be any different from ourselves if we're alive when he comes. And we shall be changed. And they will have glorified bodies just in the same way. And we shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord 
in the air. They're not wonderful now. Eh? Puts a good perspective on, on the day when it comes my time to go. <laughs> if the Lord be not come. We're all hoping that he comes before it's our turn, aren't we? Eh? But even though we go, there is no difference or distinction. Because the dead in Christ will rise first and will have bodies of glory and we shall be changed and we will have bodies like unto his body of glory. What's Corinthians 15 speaks about God giving it the body and, and, and about being raised incorruptible, you know, being sown in corruption, being raised incorruptible. And so the bodies that they will have of the same glorified body that we will have that belongs to the Savior himself. So the other word I was thinking about in just a few minutes more, the other word was himself, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Uh, and, and I think this is, this is shades of, uh, of John 14, isn't it? The Lord himself. If I go, believe in me, he says in John 14. Believe in me, and, and in that belief there is peace. And he says, if I go and prepare a place for you. So there's preparation there. If I go and prepare a place. Isn't it wonderful that the Lord has gone to the glory and he's preparing a place for you and for me. Eh? In my father's house and many mansions. But if I go, I will come again. I will come again and receive you unto myself. And I, I think... What we need to grasp from this passage and other passages in scriptures is that our destiny is linked to a person rather than a place. Uh, we're going to read in a few minutes about ever with the Lord. Ever with the Lord. And so our destiny is linked to a person rather than a place. I just always like to think when people say, well, where are we going to be in the millennium and, and where are we going to be in the eternal state and so on. And, and our brother Charlie last night was, was talking about the, 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 the city that came down, you know, and so on. And brother Sinclair as well, the city that came down. But where are we going to be in the millennium? Where, where, well, I don't, need, I don't need to bother about that because I'm going to be with him. And... and, and Himself will come. You know, he, he, gives, he gives angels and others messages to give to others all the time throughout Scripture. But when it comes to taking me to glory, he's going to come himself. He's going to come himself. And, 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 and if we could only grasp that our future is related to a person rather than a place. I think it might solve some of our dispensational disagreements that we might have at times. But, but it's about him. And he's going to come for us. And we're going to be with him. And, and the other word I had underlined here was, so shall we ever be with the Lord. And it's about being with him. So if he's in the glory, we'll be with him. You don't go anywhere without your bride. You maybe go places without your wife eventually, but you don't go anywhere without your bride usually, you know? Just join together. And, and, and it's his bride that he's taking home 
to be with him. And so we're going to, whether he's in the glory or whether he's in Jerusalem or whether he's in the city that is suspended, about, I don't know, but wherever he is, then we know that we will be there as well. Uh, the other word I had underlined was the word uh, together. Uh, uh, and, and the other word is we ever be, but together, uh, so shall we, you know, we be caught up together. And, and I know there's always the debate about, will we know each other in that day? Will we know each other in that day? Well, I don't think Paul tries to answer that question. I remember my sister-in-law when she lost her boy. What an agony she was in. And, and she was convinced that when she got to the glory, she was going to run up to him and throw her arms around him. And I had to say, Flora, I don't think that's what is meant. You know, all you need to know is that he's going to be there. And whether we'll know each other or not, I don't know. Some say we will, some say we won't. But, but the important thing for us to understand is that for those that have died and gone ahead, and when we get there, we will go together with them. Whether in recognition or otherwise. We know that the Lord has promised that together we shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We do know that, that there are different kinds of relationships when we get to the glory. They neither marry or are given in marriage, for example. So there are different kinds of relationships once we're in the glory. But all we need to know is that we will be taken up together. What a day, what a day that's going to be now. What is this world going to be like when all of those saints that have died are raised? And all of the saints that are living are taken up together. What kind of day is that going to be in this world? I tell you this, I'm glad I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be at home with the Lord and in the glory. Uh, so shall we ever be with the Lord was the other word in, in that section. I, I just, what I thought about that was, his purposes are entirely eternal. So shall we ever be with the law. Uh, we've moved around this country and been in so many different homes and houses. But when I get to glory, that's where I'm going to be. And, and, and I will forever be there in the Father's house and forever be with him. So shall we ever be. And, and Christ's purposes and God's purposes are entirely eternal. They were for Israel, Genesis 17 and 7. He made an everlasting covenant with Abraham. An everlasting covenant. People that say there's no future for Israel don't seem to read their Bibles too much. He's got an everlasting covenant. And, and, and for the church, John chapter 10, I give unto my sheep eternal life and they shall never perish and so his purposes are entirely eternal wherefore says the apostle at the end of the chapter comfort one another with these words comfort one another with these words um, the media and the newspapers are in so much angst today about who's going to be our next prime minister it'll be who God wants it to be it will be who God wants it to be. And, and his hand is 
in control. He's still on the throne, and it's a throne that's set in heaven. It's always been there. It's there today, and it will be there eternally. His throne and his purposes for his people are entirely eternal. So the coming of the Lord, great subject, and I may not have done it justice tonight, but uh, I hope with what we've considered and what we've read, that will have encouraged our hearts in our journey for him. Let's pray together. Father, we bow together and thank thee for this time together and for thy word, and we pray that what we have read might be an encouragement to thy people and might encourage us in our journey for the Saviour. And we thank thee for the prospect that is sure and certain that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. So, our Father, we bow to thank thee and ask for thy abiding blessing in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. That's my time, and I shouldn't have done, but maybe sing a couple of verses of... Uh,